Luke 18, and we started Luke 18, uh, verses uh, 1 through 8 last Sunday. And so we're going to continue on with that. And so as a, uh, a recap, um, we, re- we read here in Luke 18 where uh, Jesus is <clears throat> giving his uh, disciples some instruction about prayer. And in fact, if you, if you look at the passage in Luke 18, 1, it says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now, do you notice in your Bibles, uh, to this end is in italics. Uh, well, at least it is in mine. Uh, this is in italics, and this is showing us <coughs> that um, uh, the King James uh, translators, uh, they put these words in italics because even though these particular words may not have been in the Greek text that they were translating from, uh, yet it, this is the intent of the verse, and that's why they put this, these words in italics. Uh, they, they were showing that this was the intention of this verse that Jesus was getting ready to, to teach how men ought always to pray and not to faint. And so that's what we see the intention of the Lord here as he is uh, uh, speaking to his disciples. He's beginning to get ready to instruct them about, about prayer and, and uh, what a lot of folks have called um, uh, perpetual prayer or being persistent in prayer. And so why, why is this necessary? Uh, I think I asked that question last time. Uh, why is it that the Lord um, was compelled to address his disciples, his followers, uh, with this need that they ought always to pray? Well, the first thing to take away from this is that uh, uh, persistent prayer is the necessity, right, uh, brought on by the circumstances we face. And whether it's due to uh, the conduct of others toward ourselves, or it may be in reference of what is required of us to attain a certain end, but uh, this kind of uh, praying is, is a necessity brought on by our circumstances. And quite simply, uh, in the context, it was because of the necessity of the times in which uh, the disciples lived. It also is in necessity of the times of those in the future, such as you you and myself uh, who are living in these days because if you remember uh, we finished off with uh, Luke chapter 17 with Jesus talking about uh, the days of Lot and the days of Noah and uh, his coming again in judgment Uh, so he had uh, warned about false Christ and of troublesome times and he he speaks of those days when um, um, quite frankly when most men will not have faith uh, when most men will be uh, devoid of faith, uh, those times that Jesus would later on refer to in, in Luke chapter 21, verse 26, uh, where he says, men's hearts failing them for fear uh, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. And that's kind of what we're seeing even today, aren't we? We're seeing uh, men's hearts failing them for fear for looking after those things which are, are coming on the earth. And, you know, we, we look at our times and we're thinking, my goodness, you know, what's going on? I, you know, just imagine what's going to be like uh, in those days uh, when what Jesus was talking about uh, prior to his second coming. Uh, again, uh, uh, one must pursue, uh, I think I also brought up, you know, the reason why. We, we know that uh, bad days are ahead, but 
why is it why is it we should be uh, persistent in in praying why is that why is there should should we be be persevering in prayer well the reason that jesus gave is is quite simple uh, least we faint uh, least we faint least we uh, roll over least we give up we lose heart or or we quit you know or as i said uh, last week we we start settling uh, for less we start settling for less and and we allow the adversary to take something from us that he has no no right to have so you know that's that's the purpose of of always praying being persistent in our prayers uh, least we faint least we falter uh, the adversary is always uh, seeking uh, to take something uh, that does not belong to him he's always seeking to take something uh, away from us and one of his favorite tactics that he likes to use is the tactic of fear. Uh, if he can get you to be fearful, then uh, he can get you to become uh, distracted or not trust in God or, or lose heart. So one of his favorite tactics is, is fear. He can manipulate mankind uh, with fear. Uh, so therefore, those who, who live in these troubled times that, that Jesus was talking about, he says they ought always to pray. He ought, they ought always to pray because really there's only um, two alternatives you know we we can either faint and we can may and we can remain fearful uh, in these times or we can pray uh, trusting in God uh, living uh, by faith that that the judge of the world uh, the judge of all men uh, will do right will do right so we can either uh, remain fearful uh, and faint or we can uh, pray trusting in God that uh, God will do right in the end. Uh, in mentioning uh, the adversary, we're also uh, reminded of the characters found here in in Jesus's parable, and we we talked about these folks uh, as uh, he's uh, teaching his uh, disciples about praying. Uh, we've got the widow, uh, perhaps um, the most vulnerable of all the people, uh, also along with orphans. You know, uh, she has an adversary that's trying to perpetrate some sort of crime against her. So we have the widow and then we have the judge who is in an official of the law uh, who is at first uh, indifferent to this widow's need uh, you know he doesn't really care about uh, what this adversary is is trying to uh, trying to do but due to her persistence uh, eventually he you know he gives in and he provides her the justice that she's seeking uh, then we have the adversary uh, this um, remorseless uh, evil entity that is uh, seeking to have uh, some type of uh, power over her life, uh, trying to take something away from her that uh, the adversary has no right to. And then the fourth thing that we talked about, if you remember last week, uh, was time. Uh, just plain time. Uh, it took this widow a while to get justice. And then there's this time that we have to deal with, that, that um, unrelenting, indefinite, uh, continued process of existence that uh, we all go through, uh, that uh, you know we all have to uh, endure. Uh, um, it's time. Eventually, time wears down uh, many folks. Uh, they just get weary. They just get weary. And so all four of these elements of Jesus' parable we've already considered as possessing a potential 
to cause someone to faint uh, due to the necessities brought on by troublesome times. Uh, we read, uh, we studied about the judge's indifference uh, to the widow's plight. We talked about the adversary's uh, evil intentions against her. Uh, we talked about the widow and her seemingly helpless helplessness, and, and we talked about time. It took a while, right? It took a while for the judge to come around and to finally give uh, the widow judge uh, justice. All of these elements uh, can and will have an impact in our own lives, you know, as we endure uh, troublesome times. We we all face, and we talked about this last week, we all face the indifference of a, of a secular society uh, that often, uh, even more so now today, is proving intolerant uh, towards uh, you and I who, who follow Christ and, and, and try to be as biblical as we can. Uh, they often misunderstand or misrepresent uh, what uh, we're really all about. And, um, and in some cases, you know, other Christians don't make it easy. Uh, so, you know, we, we have that element of a secular society that's indifferent. Uh, then we have uh, all of us have that relentless adversary uh, who's like a roaring lion seeking whom he, whom may, he may devour. I mean, uh, Ron Casson often quotes the passage in, in the Gospel of John. I mean, the, the whole aim for the adversary is to steal, kill, and destroy. I mean, that's what he's all about. And like I mentioned before, one of his chief tactics is, is fear. Uh, if he can get us to become fearful, then he can get us to begin uh, to distrust, to uh, not trust in God. And when that happens, he has control over us. Uh, when when he gets us to, to be fearful, uh, the adversary then has uh, control over us. And we don't want that to happen. Uh, we don't want the, the adversary to have control over us. Uh, Proverbs twenty nine twenty five says, uh, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. So that's what we... That's where we need to live. We need to live trusting in the Lord. We don't want the adversary to manipulate us and control us by fear. Uh, then, we, then we have ourselves. We talked about that uh, with the widow in comparison with the widow. Uh, often uh, the infirmities of our own flesh uh, can prove to be, uh, be the reason for our re, uh, you know, for us to faint or for us to give up. Uh, we become physically or, or emotionally weary. Uh, we get into this thinking that you know, we're unworthy and, you know, why would God care? And, you know, I know some of us have been there or, you know, we may become even prideful and we think we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And, you know, in, we may not say this verbally, but we may say it in our actions, in our attitude. You know, I really don't need God. I can I can take care of this myself. That's not a good place to be either. Uh, and then finally, that element of time, you know, that that relentless ticking of the clock, that that enduring through the trouble that just wears us down because it just doesn't seem like uh, we get anywhere or anything is, is happening or God's even listening, you know. Uh, eventually that, that time has a tendency to wear down even the strongest of men and, and cause them to faint. So we looked at all of those things uh, in, in comparison to the widow and to ourselves. And if you remember Remember, uh, one of the things that I said about the widow, and this is all, of course, review, uh, one of the things I said about the widow 
was that she persisted in spite of the obstacles she faced. Okay, she she persisted in spite of the the obstacles she faced. The odds were stacked against this gal, and there was a great injustice being committed against her that that threatened her uh, severely. Uh, but yet she did not roll over. I mean, she stood her ground and she was persistent, and she pestered the indifferent judge concerning her plight. I mean, she she was persistent. She, in spite of the obstacles she faced, she she kept going. She kept going. Um, you know, in speaking about uh, the adversary and all of this stuff, uh, I was reminded of what uh, the Apostle Paul writes about, as far as the armor of God in Ephesians chapter six. You know, he writes about the the helmet of salvation and the shield of faith and and the sword of the spirit and all the other accoutrements of the spiritual armor. He talks about all of that. And, you know, there are some folks who are very, very good about, uh, you know, handling the sword of the Spirit. They're very knowledgeable about God's Word, and, and they're very adept at it. And then you've got other folks, man, I mean, they have a good handle on that uh, on that shield of faith, and they hold it up as the, the darts of the enemy are being uh, hurled at them. Uh, but the one thing that, uh, you know, a lot of folks overlook is what Paul says in verse 18 of Ephesians 6. He says in Ephesians 6.18, he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You know, often we hear preachers, you know, say, read your Bible or come to church or, or be faithful in ministry and hold fast to the, to the faith. And oh, by the way, be sure and pray while you're at it. You know, it's almost like a second thought. I was really encouraged by our, our pastor this morning because, you know, he touched on this uh, matter of prayer and he really exhorted uh, the, the people of God to, to pray. And I believe that our pastor understands the importance of prayer. And I believe our pastor is a, is a praying, praying pastor. That's kind of hard to say. He's a praying pastor. You know, it, it's, it's through praying that we receive the power to persist and persevere uh, through the necessities that troublesome times impose upon us. Uh, we need to pray. We need to stay connected with God in, in prayer. I mean, by all means, put on the whole armor of God. But, you know, honestly, if you neglect prayer, you're giving ground to the adversary. You really are. You're giving ground to the adversary. Uh, you may be all decked out in all the armor of God, but if you're not praying, you know, that you're, you're, you're not utilizing a, a very key element in this whole uh, spiritual warfare that we're involved with. And involved in. So this example of this widow in Jesus' parable uh, brings this truth out for our consideration. Men ought always to pray. It was her persistent petitions that eventually prevailed over this judge's indifference. Say that fast five times. So in in spite of the of the obstacles uh, that, that this widow faced, she persisted. She was persistent. But then why did she persist? Why did she persevere? What was it about this widow who had uh, so much against her that uh, could have defeated her, that could have caused her to just throw her hands up in the air and say, you know, what's worse, you know, what's the what's the, what's the 
you know, why why is it worth it? Why should I bother? You know, what gave this gal uh, the tenacity to persevere? Well, this brings us uh, to the second point, and that's the that's the whole topic of our part two of this lesson. Uh, she uh, she persisted in spite of the obstacles, but here's something else that she did. And this is she refused to accept her unjust situation. She not only persisted in spite of the obstacles, but behind this, she simply refused to accept her unjust situation. Uh, there was a, there was this resolve in this this widow uh, that uh, did not let her quit, did not let her uh, settle for less for you know what was truly hers. Uh, she had a sanctified stubbornness. You know, there's there are times when it's not good to be stubborn. But there are times when you need to be stubborn. There are times you need to be stubborn so that you don't quit when you're in the right. Uh, Proverbs 28.1 says, uh, The wicked flee when no no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. You know, there are times when it's you need to be bold. There are times you need to be stubborn. Uh, And this is really what challenged me personally about this widow. Uh, Yeah, not only did she persist in spite of her obstacles, but she refused to accept her unjust situation. She simply refused. Uh, Yeah, she had the resolve, but here's what she had. She had the attitude behind her resolve. Uh, She knew she was just in her cause. Uh, So she had that attitude. You know, a lot of a lot of goofiness is said about attitude, uh, but one's attitude does affect one's life. And, and what we see here with this widow, I believe, uh, provides an important insight uh, that even affects your own relationship with God and your own service and your own fellowship and your whole, your whole attitude uh, uh, in life as, and as far as uh, this uh, persistence in prayer. To put it simply, what this widow did was that she rebelled against the status quo. (laughs) She rebelled against the status quo. I mean, in her case, uh, there was an injustice being perpetrated against her uh, by her adversary. And the indifference of this judge to her cause, you know. Uh, And so instead of rolling over uh, to, you know, whatever, uh, she rebelled against the status quo and she persisted and prevailed. Uh, Some years ago, I, I read an article in a, in a faith-based magazine. My goodness, I don't know how long this was, about 10, 15 years ago, if, if not more, uh, about persevering prayer. And it was an article. Uh, when I started reading it, I wasn't quite sure what to make of it at first. Uh, as I, you know, started to to read what the writer had had to say about uh, 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 persevering prayer and being persistent in prayer. But uh, as I got to reading this article, I'm, I got to thinking, you know what? Maybe this this author is onto something here. Uh, the author of the article, by the way, was a missionary who uh, served in a very difficult field. He had to deal with uh, a government that wasn't quite friendly and the, the people who were indifferent. So he was he was in a very, very difficult field. And it, as he wrote this article on, on uh, persevering prayer, 
he was relating, you know, some of his experiences uh, to his readers, and you know that was the background to to his article. But uh, one of the points that he made uh, about um, uh, persistent, uh, persevering uh, prayer is that he said persevering prayer, in essence, is a form of rebellion. He said, persevering prayer, in essence, is a form of rebellion. Now, honestly, uh, when I first read the statement, I put the article down uh, immediately. Because I thought that this man was uh, all wet. And I honestly think it was the word uh, rebellion uh, that kind of threw me in this this state of mind because what I was at, you know what I was experiencing personally in my own life at the time uh, the word rebellion left quite a nasty taste with me so I didn't even like to uh, read the word rebellion much you know much less hear about it but I was intrigued by his statement so after uh, you know a moment to gather my my wits and to pray a little bit about it, I, I, I continued reading the article, and in short, uh, what he meant was that persevering prayer is rebellion against the status quo, uh, the state of the world and its fallen uh, sin, uh, sinfulness and its fallenness, uh, the carnality of one's heart, uh, the willingness to compromise one's biblical values uh, for the worldly values, uh, the adversity's attempt to steal what did not belong to him or or uh, become a hindrance in one's ministry. Uh, he said persevering, persistent prayer uh, is is rebelling against all of that. Uh, he said uh, it's, it's an absolute undying refusal to accept as normal what is completely abnormal. You know, uh, like the widow in Jesus' parable, uh, it's to refuse to accept what is wrong for, for what is right. Uh, that's what he's saying that persevering prayer is. Uh, persevering prayer is, is the rejection of, of every agenda and every scheme and every opinion uh, that clashes uh, with the norms that God had originally established uh, in his word. That's, that's what it is. You're, 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 you're praying in rebellion against everything that's wrong. Everything that's wrong. Our, our persistent uh, petitionary prayers uh, is actually an expression of an attitude of heart that declares that evil is not a variation on good. And is that not what our society uh, preaches consistently? That evil is only a variation on the good. Uh, But it's the very opposite. Evil is unacceptable. I don't care what form it takes. Uh, Evil is unacceptable. Uh, This was the very attitude of this woman. Uh, The the adversary, as well as the unjust judge, was was perpetrating an evil against her. uh, and, And she rebelled against that evil. Uh, She rebelled against the status quo uh, being foisted upon her. Uh, That's why she was persistent. She had that attitude of, no, I am not going to accept this. I am not going to accept this. Uh, This little gal, this widow, was, was was courageous because she was just in her cause against the evil that was being forced that she was being forced to accept that's why she was as bold as a lion 
you know so when i when i was studying this and i'm i'm asking myself you know uh, have we rolled over or are are we close to rolling over and then i had to really get personal and i had to ask you know in what area of my life have have i accepted the abnormal in exchange for the normal you know have i become accustomed or have i become comfortable to the status quo of a life uh, that reflects more of the worldly values than heavenly values you know uh, now you have to ask yourself these these questions sometimes I think because it's so subtle it's so it's so sneaky now also please please do not take what I say and twist it uh, to fit your politics and take up arms and go out and overthrow the government. That is not what I'm saying. Or am I even applying it? I'm not even, that's not even where I'm going with all this. Our conflict is spiritual. Our adversary is spiritual. And what is at stake in our homes and in our churches, in our lives, in our communities, it's also spiritual. It's a spiritual conflict is what we're involved in. In second 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3, what did Paul write? He says, he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. See, the true battle field is a spiritual battlefield. And as the book of Daniel and passages such as Ephesians 6 shows us, uh, the real warriors in that battlefield fight the battle on their knees. And that's what we're that's what we need to do. We need more prayer warriors fighting the spiritual battle on their knees. So, uh, what I want to do here is to make application uh, with this <laughs> widow's example of rebelling and refusing to accept her unjust situation. And I want to look at some of the obstacles she faced, and I want to try to apply them to ourselves in our own troubled times as we wait for the the coming of the Lord. So if you remember, the first uh, thing that we talked about uh, was a godless society, this indifferent indifferent judge. Uh, So we live in a a godless society. Uh, So to pray as this widow uh, petitioned this ungodly judge, uh, what does it say? Well, this simply says this. Uh, this present world system is at cross purposes with God. Right? Uh, this present world system is at cross purposes with God. Now, I know you guys are, are Bible taught, and I know that, you know, wow, Jeff, that's, you know, that's really profound. Uh, yeah, it is. It's an obvious fact, and I know you, you guys understand that, uh, that this world is at cross purposes with, with God. But just because it's, it's an obvious fact uh, doesn't necessarily mean that you and I get it. All right. Uh, sometimes people state the obvious, but sometimes they don't get it either. They don't get it either. Uh, you know, when we accept the status quo uh, uh, of evil uh, that this world daily attempts to interject into our lives, uh, interject into our families, interject into our churches, interject into our communities, when we accept that status quo, in essence, we are rolling over. 
And we are saying that God is unable to make a difference, uh, that God's power to change the situation is ineffectual, that the gospel doesn't have the power to to change lives and save the, the souls of men and women. Now, I know we may not say it verbally, but when you're accepting the status quo of evil, Practically, that is what we're saying. And this is exactly what the adversary wants you to believe. Remember what he said to Eve, Yea, hath God said? That's what he's wanting you to do. He's wanting you to roll over and accept this secular, indifferent attitude that the world says. When we faint and and we come into agreement uh, with the uh, secular society around us that says that uh, God is ineffectual or non-existent, or if he is present, then, you know, he really doesn't make a whole lot of difference. That's exactly what they want you to think. That's exactly what they want you to believe. And we know that that's not true. We know that's not true. Uh, when we begin to adopt this, this attitude of secular indifference towards God, that infiltrates your home, that infiltrates your family, that infiltrates your marriage, that infiltrates your uh, relationship and service to God and to his people. Uh, it, it just does. It, it begins to infiltrate uh, like weeds in, in your garden. Uh, and very subtly, our priorities uh, begin to shift from heaven uh, to earth. Our priorities start shifting from things that are eternal to things that are here and now because we begin to adopt this secular indifference about the things of God. Um, Our goals, our priorities for our children, our marriages, our lives, uh, they now take on a focus that is more temporal than eternal, uh, focused more on the earthly gains uh, than the heavenly gains. Uh, This attitude of indifference uh, breeds a sense of impotence uh, that leads us to calling for a truce with what is wrong rather than praying and working for what is right. We roll over. We give up. We quit. Uh, this kind of reminds me of uh, what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 5. I mean, Isaiah, he was facing uh, something very similar in his time. Uh, there was a brand of secular indifference that was settling into the hearts and minds of his people. And this is what he wrote about in Isaiah chapter 5, and in, in, in starting in verse 20. He says, Woe unto them that call evil good, and good evil, that put darkness for light, and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes, and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine, and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward, and take away the righteous of the righteous from him. Righteousness of the righteous from him. My goodness, if that isn't reflective of the times that we live in, I don't know what does. No, this is not the attitude that we are to take. We are not to to adopt this uh, secular indifference. This is the very thing that we need to rebel against. Uh, The Bible says that we are to eschew evil. 1 Peter 3.11 says, Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Uh, The word eschew means to shun or turn away from something, uh, to have no society with it so that it doesn't influence you. So it doesn't have its impact on you. Uh, We are to rebel 
against the world's rebellion against God and all that is godly. Uh, we are to shun the kind of influence that, that seeks to steal from us our fellowship with God and our testimony for the gospel and ministry of Jesus Christ. You know, uh, Christians have been accused of being intolerant. Uh, it's not that we are intolerant. We're, we're not intolerant toward lost souls who need Christ, but we should be intolerant about the sinful values that a secular world system attempts to oppose upon us, uh, seeking to get us to compromise or neutralize our witness for Christ. That we should be intolerant about. Uh, not for the lost souls. We love lost souls. We want lost souls to know Jesus Christ. We want them to know that in Christ they, they can have abundant life. But as far as the values are concerned, no, we should have nothing to do with those values. In Romans 6.20 it says, for when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Uh, we are not to be conformed to this world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. You know, if we find ourselves comfortable in this world, dare to pray that God would make you uncomfortable. You know, if we find ourselves uh, content with the mundane and the temporal, uh, pray that God would make you discontent and, 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 and with nothing less than what matters for eternity. Don't settle for the status quo of an indifferent secular society. You know, uh, Colossians 3.1 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Rebel against the status quo of the secular society's values in that life on earth is an end and of itself, and that true happiness can be attained without God. No, that is not so. Uh, we have been given abundant life, uh, promised by Jesus Christ. This is what the adversary is seeking to steal from you. Rebel against that. Rebel against that. Rebel against the influences of this world as it as it appeals to your flesh to draw you away from God. A rebel against the adversary that attempts to draw you away from God and neutralize you in the Great Commission. Uh, one man said, do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. So rebel against the influence of the world in your life, in your families, in your marriage, and everything else. Uh, but but set your affection on things above. Then there's the second thing, the second obstacle that we face uh, in the quality of our relationship with God, and that's ourselves. Uh, ourselves, you know. Uh, God created man with a purpose in mind. Uh, God sent his only begotten son to redeem you and me. Uh, God invested all he had uh, in, in our redemption. And it is this investment uh, that places value on you and me and on his purpose for us. You know, this secular society uh, would limit the value of life to a temporal existence and relegate the purpose of life to the gratification of self. Uh, bottom line, that's, that's what it is. Uh, to me, uh, one of the most startling manifestations of this self-centered attitude on life is the, the justification 
sign of the willful termination of the life of an unborn child uh, because it is believed to be the expression of someone's right to do so. Uh, Put it down, boil it down, in order to have better life, uh, terminate an innocent life is pretty much what is being said. Uh, A court of law may grant you the right to willfully terminate life of an unborn child, but this does not make it ethical. It's still murder according to the word of God. Uh, Exodus 23.7 says, uh, Keep thee far from a false matter, and the innocent and righteous slay thou not, for I will not justify the wicked. Uh, Deuteronomy 27.25 says, uh, Cursed be he that taketh reward to slay an innocent person. And all the people shall say, Amen. You know, in stark contrast to this uh, self-centered existence, uh, Christ's redemption has elevated life to its, its, all, its utmost value and its purpose uh, to live one's life for, for the greatest good of others. You know, uh, Romans 13.8, Paul was writing to the church in Rome, and he says in Romans 13.8, he says, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet it. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So, you know, rebel against the notion uh, that we have been told that men are just meaningless specks, uh, a byproduct of a cold, calculating, uncaring happenstance, and believe and live what the Bible tells us, that we were created in the image of God. We were created with a divine and glorious purpose to fulfill. Uh, There is value in you and I. There is value in God put that value there. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27 it says, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he male and female, created he them, and God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Jeremiah He's, he's talking, he was talking to his folks uh, back there in Jeremiah. And, and Jeremiah 20, uh, where, let me hang on a second here. Jeremiah, <laughs> push the wrong button, guys. Um, there it is, Jeremiah 29, 11. He says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> Rebel against settling for less in the quality of your relationship and service for God. Rebel against that. Uh, Rebel against the notion that uh, we are incapable or undeserving of better. And pursue with perseverance your God-given purpose in fulfilling the Great Commission. Um, just, you know, just don't, don't settle for less. Don't let somebody talk you into something. Uh, that is not true. You know, uh, one man said, God does not retire us. He, he transitions us. <laughs> As his children, our lives are always scaling upwards, moving from challenge to challenge, victory to victory, adventure to venture, and faith to faith. You know, that's one of the things I love about... Uh, my walk with God and my Christian faith. 
there's you're always growing. There's always you're always growing. There you're always learning. You're always God's always working that perfect work in your life. And unfortunately, so many believers settle for less. They settle for less. I love what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians. He said in Philippians three thirteen, he says, "Brethren, he says I count I count not myself to apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and and reaching forth unto those things which are before." He says, "I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus." Man, if you want purpose in your life, come to Christ, serve Him. You know, if you want purpose in your life, come to Christ and serve Him. Uh, pray to persevere in your pursuit of the prize. Pray not to faint in order to apprehend what God has called you for. You know, I will confess, I've had times uh, when I desired, when the desire to quit was so strong, you could you could taste it, uh, to just roll over and, and fade away. But then, you know, I'm called on to persevere. That's what the Bible says. I'm called on to, to persevere. And one of those verses that keeps me going is found in Philippians. Philippians 1.6, it says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, determined to live that which is written of you in order that it may be true of you. Manly Beasley said that years and years ago when he came to uh, KCBT to, to to uh, preach to the folks there. Man, I tell you what, that stuck with me. He said, determine to live that which is written of you in order that it may be true of you. You know, if God won't give up on you and he won't give up on, on me, then we can't give up, can we? This good work is bigger than the both of us. So rebel against that, you know, rebel against that and pray that, you know, pray that God would make you the man that God wants you to be or the woman that God wants you to be. Uh, the, the third thing is our adversary. That's the third obstacle that we face, uh, our adversary. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, it says, least Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. One uh, thing we can be certain of, and that is the activity of the adversary is as unrelenting as it is diverse. I mean, our adversary uh, may say he will sue for peace, but don't you believe it. It's a lie. Uh, he is relentless. He is an enemy that will appear to concede concessions, but in reality, he still pursues that agenda of thievery and death and destruction. Uh, an elderly saint who was known uh, for her positive outlook on, on life and always saying something positive about those she knew uh, was asked one day uh, to say something positive about the devil. And after some, some reflection, she said, well, he's always on the job. And she's absolutely right. Uh, the devil is always on the job. Uh, our adversary's character is aptly described as a as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And if he and if we are willing to roll over, uh, so much the better for him. You know, he he'll be glad to, to devour you. 
We are to rebel against the, the adversary's agenda in our homes, in our marriages, in our churches, and in our, in our society. We are to adopt the attitude that, that we're against that. Uh, like, this, like this widow, uh, we're to be litigants in the high court of the heavens. You know, uh, we are to be litigants of the high court of the judge of all men. We are to petition against our adversary as he assaults our homes and our marriages and our churches and our society. Uh, we are to pr- pray in rebellion against his rebellion. I mean, what is at stake uh, is too important to simply roll over and allow our adversary to succeed. Uh, all of our efforts will fail unless we first achieve victory in prayer by inviting God in our personal rebellion against evil in ourselves, in our homes, in our, our marriages, our families, our churches, and society. Uh, take note what the Lord said here in Luke 18, uh, verses 6 through 8. He says, he says, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? The Lord doesn't give a reason why God bears long with his own who are petitioning for justice against their adversary in life. But what the Lord does declare with certainty is God will avenge. He will avenge them speedily. When God moves, he moves quickly. It may take a long time, but when he does move, he moves quickly. The adversary is a beaten foe, yet so many of us uh, don't believe this or we don't act like he is. Uh, when he roars, uh, folks roll over. Uh, no, no, rebel against that. Don't don't stand for that. First John 5, 4 says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. John 4, 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You know what the problem with many Christians is? They listen to, yea, hath God said, instead of, yea, God hath said. So let's, let's, let's not settle for that. You know, Let's not let the adversary uh, run roughshod over our families and our lives and stuff. And then we have the, the fourth obstacle, um, the, the obstacle of time. Uh, Psalms uh, 13. T- turn to Psalms 13 and, and look at this. Uh, in Psalms 13, uh, starting in verse 1, um, the psalmist writes, uh, Psalms 13, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Boy, talk about an applicable psalm. Uh, who hasn't found himself or herself in this place as the psalmist, uh, who, who also underwent a long uh, period of troubled days? I mean, uh, we reread the psalmist asking, how long, how long, how long? Four times he asks, how long? He says, how long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? forever? 
Uh, for those who have experienced prolonged periods of troubled days, uh, a sense of being abandoned and, and deserted uh, will creep into the heart and mind. Let me assure you, God never forgets his own. Isaiah 49:14. But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Then he says, Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the sum of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet I will not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. 2 Timothy 4.16 At my first answer no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it be not laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. I love what Isaiah wrote that God said, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Do we honestly think that the one whose hands had been graven by nails on the cross will forget those who have come to him for salvation and forsake them in their time of trouble? No, he will not. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know, reading in my Bible, there's only one thing that I've discovered that God will forget. And you know what that is? It's our sin. That's the only thing God will forget. Hebrews 10.17 says, And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Uh, God will not abandon Israel in the tribulation, and Christ will never abandon his bride, the church. He also, the psalmist goes on, he says, How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? Uh, In dark days, uh, the adversary would have us believe that God has hidden his face from us. Uh, To hide one's face in the Bible is to show a sign of having no favor to another. Uh, As I've often mentioned, uh, the humble sparrow is my favorite bird, for it reminds me of of God's fatherly care for his own. I mean, if his eye is upon a fallen sparrow, then his eye is upon me and you as well. Uh, Matthew 10, 29, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very heads, hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Luke 12, 6, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Uh, Just because the clouds may cover the sun during a storm, that doesn't mean the sun is is not there in its place. And just because the days may be dark, it doesn't mean that we're not under the watchful eye of God. We're always, always under the watchful eye of God. We've got the promise of Ephesians 1, 6 that says, we are accepted in the beloved. Uh, This means that God loves us as much as he loves his own son and that God's love and care for us will never diminish in spite of the circumstances, in spite of how dark those days are. Uh, The psalmist also goes on and he says, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? I mean, in our darkest days, uh, the worst counselor that one may turn to is is one's self. Uh, During those perplexing hours of troubled days, uh, we would be wise to look away from the counsels of our own hearts and seek the counsel found in the promises of God in his word. Uh, These are the days that call for prayer and promises. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. Uh, When David was greatly distressed, 
asked, what was it that he did? In 1 Samuel chapter 30, in verse 6, he says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. You know, some folks, they turn to the Psalms in those dark days. Some folks will turn to the Gospels. Some will turn to the Epistles. Whatever you do, turn to the Word of God in prayer. Take comfort and counsel in His promises. Take comfort and counsel in His promises. And then the last thing that uh, the psalmist says, he says, How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Uh, Here is some insight to be gained. For behind it all, is the adversary. Behind it all is the adversary. Uh, remember what Jesus said in this parable in Luke 18, 7 through 8. He says, And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with him? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Yeah, it may seem like the enemy may be exalted over us, but it's temporary. Uh, in the end, he's gone. He's defeated. He's beaten. Uh, he, he's already, you know, he's already already a defeated a defeated foe in just a matter of time he'll get his comeuppance it's just in a matter of time he'll get his comeuppance and as we wait we must persevere in prayer and we must trust in God Uh, this widow persevered in spite of an uncaring judge Uh, this woman uh, persevered in, in spite of her own personal limitations in spite of her adversary in spite of the length and time involved to obtain justice uh this woman uh, persevered, uh, even though at times it seemed like her enemy exalted over her. I believe that this woman uh, did not waste any time in this matter. At every possible opportunity, she petitioned this judge because of her adversary's evil intentions. When she saw him walking down the street, she was there. When she saw him in the market, she was there. When he was at home, she was knocking on his door. Uh, She was knocking on his door. She rebelled against the temptation to let the matter rest uh, with the precarious hope that everything will work out in the end. Uh, She was not content with coasting along in this matter. But she utilized her time to its full advantage. And I fear that maybe that's what God's people do not do. Maybe they don't take advantage of this, uh, this uh, thing that we call prayer. Uh, we, you know, we have a tendency to, okay, I, I prayed for a little bit, nothing happened, so why bother? No. Uh, instead of rolling over, instead of becoming defeated, keep praying. Rebel against that. And, and take the offensive in petitioning. The judge who does right. Take the offensive in petitioning the judge who does right. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 14 says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And the will of the Lord 
Lord is to pray, unceasingly pray. You know, for many of us, the idea of time represents an appointment or a schedule or activities or personal commitments. It marks anniversaries or meetings or goals. You know, it's something that we uh, attempt to manage and and measure. But here in Ephesians, uh, it tells us to redeem the time, to redeem the time. Uh, One man said the word means to make wise use of every opportunity for the good of the kingdom. Uh, This tells me that time, uh, redeeming time represents purpose. It represents mission. It represents vision. You know, in our relationship and service to God, are we content in just putting in our time? Or are we going on the offensive? And are we making this time count for eternity? Are we making a life or are we just settling for a living? Are we living with a purpose or is our purpose to settle for a meaningless life? Rebel against the status quo of just putting in your time uh, while waiting to be put in a box, you know? Uh, rather redeem the time given to us and, and invest that time in the mission of God according to the will of God and the power of God. Remember the Lord's words. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Hey, let's be rebellious enough to say by God's grace, yes, he will find faith on the earth in me. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for this time. I pray, Father in heaven, that what was shared, Lord, would be an encouragement, would edify your folks. I pray, Father in heaven, that they would come away encouraged, Lord, uh, bolstered in their faith, Father, uh, more determined, Father, to rebel against the world that rebel against you, uh, more determined to rebel against uh, being lackadaisical, uh, more determined to rebel, Father, and to be persistent in their prayers, Lord, uh, during these times. Help us, Father, to not be controlled by fear, but rather to be filled by your spirit. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, thanks everyone for showing up. I appreciate that. Um, And I guess I will see you when I see you. So again, just as a reminder, this will be the way it'll go for a little bit, at least for the month of May. And hopefully come June, things will open up a little bit more and we'll be able to come together as a class inside the building. I'm really looking forward to that. So uh, God bless everyone and, uh, and good night. Okay.